forward. Well, that'll be the last time the choir sings for a while. We'll give them a break since they've been working hard back since probably September. So, but it's been a blessing. Maybe you will consider praying about being in the choir. Um, none of us really worry about singing. We just worry about wanting to honor and worship God. So consider that when we start that up. Also, we'd like to maybe do the men's choir again after a little bit of a break, maybe. Six ladies are clapping. <laughs> Seriously, why not? Men, why not, right? You've been given that instrument or that voice to sing. To me, there's nothing like men coming out and bellowing out some hymn or some form of worship in a song. So be considering that too as we let a, maybe a few months go by. All right, the title of this morning's message is What Happened? What on earth happened? Again, our nation goes through another terrorist attack last week. Again, we have to sit stupefied and dumbified looking at the TV going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, not again. What on earth is going on? Um, if, if we watch some form of TV entertainment, and now we've gone to like Netflix, Netflix, some of the old 1940s, you know, and guy wore hats and tipped their hats to ladies, and when, when they get shot, about the worst thing that happens is the hat falls off or or something like that. And even in those, there are many, uh, to our surprise, many times they quote Scripture in those old movies, or they use Scripture, or they talk about the love for God and the love for their country. And, and I almost find myself tearing up watching them, thinking, oh my gosh, what has happened to us? What has happened to the state of our nation and the morals of our nation and the condition of our nation? And again, I will tell you this morning, and you do not realize the importance of the position God has given you in these last days as our nation falls apart. And my prayer and cry this morning is that you, you will get this, that you will start to understand why you are saved at such a time as this, and that you and I, you and I, depending on how we respond and what we do, determines how long our nation suffers how long it continues to spiral deeper and deeper into immorality and the various things. What you do, not what Washington does, not what the senators do, not what D.C. does, because we can control the fate of our nation by on our knees. We do not have to be in D.C. We don't have to be some popular uh, politician who uh, controls whatever. All we got to do is get the mind of God and get the ear of God, and we can do it again. And that's where you are. No one believes that. You don't. You don't believe that. You're just, you know, Miss Housewife. You have no clue the power that resides in us if we finally get together and start crying out for God. I was pumped when Nate was to share because I already had this idea and already had this thought. And what he's telling you, when you guys decided and you finally heard and most of you were moved out of desperation and pain for someone you love, you cried out for God and supernatural things happened above and beyond. I wasn't praying for some tobacco thing. I was praying for his back. I was praying, dear God, have mercy. Have mercy upon Nate. And God does even above and more than we ever thought or think. Is that what the Word of God says? The same thing with our nation. Our nation is lying on life support. And until you get this and start shoving your schedule aside and start getting a hold of God, it's going to continue with these tragic reports that we see over and over. All right, so we're starting out with 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. Go and do some reading here. Not a whole lot. 
But it says, now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shokoth. Again, we find the people of God facing another battle. That's the way it is. That's the way it is in Christianity. This is not heaven. The streets are not gold, and you do not see God clearly. You are in a spiritual warfare, and you are in a battle. Once again, here we are facing another battle, another storm. Just like they did in the, in the, the, the Old Testament, and out comes Goliath. And verse 2 says, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against that Philistine enemy, that common enemy, that normal, that enemy all the time that comes. And the Philistines stood on the mountains on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And this is what's happening to us right now. There's becoming a distinct valley between the true Christians and those who want nothing to do with Christianity. And this valley in between is going to be the battlefield. The people of God on this side and those who are no longer moved by the laws of God or governed by the laws of God on this side. Can you see it happening? They're always talking about this great divide. Well, they, they're, they're thinking of uh, liberal and conservatism. It's way beyond that. And then all of a sudden, out of this godless side, comes this champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. In other words, he was one big bad dude. That's what he was. Now let's skip down to verse 8 because 4 through 8 tells you about all his armor. He had more armor, more weight on him than I am as a, a complete person. That's how bad and how big and how strong he was. Okay, in verse 8 says, And he stood and he cried unto the armies of Israel. And he said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then, will you, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. This is the battle. Either we send someone out and do him in, and then godlessness again will submit to godliness, or godliness is going to rise up and take on and get rid of all the laws, all the godly laws in our nation, and you and I are then going to have to submit to them. That's the warfare. Verse 9 says, and if if you be able to fight with me and kill me, So this is where we're at. Verse uh, 10 says, And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. We find ourselves in the same situation today. We are living in the same time. This is very similar. Goliath's voice, his godless voice is one defying our nation and our land again. Get away with this, get away with that. I want nothing of this. And here we are, the church, the Saul, the army of Saul, cowering, dismayed, and very afraid. That's where we are. Goliath's voice once again defying the laws of God in our land. Do away with that, get rid of this. We don't want to hear that, tear that down. 
as the voice bellows out across the land, and the majority of churches in America and Christians are all going, okay, well, all right, okay, what can we do? Deuteronomy tells us something in 28 verse 13. It says, and the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. We are the head and not the tail. We are the church, the Christians, God's people. We are the head and not the tail, and thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath. Is that where we are now? Is that the story today? Something has changed. What's happened? If that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. So we have this promise of being the head, not under the head, not cowering and dismayed, full of wisdom and power from God, the head. So what's happened? What's happened with this army of Saul? This word head means chief, means the head of man, head of the city, head of the nation, head of the family, head of the place. We are the head, the church, significant, influential, powerful. And Saul's army, these are the people of God. They have the testimony. They have a history. The miraculous doesn't belong to the Philistines. It belongs to the Saul army, army of Saul and the people of God. It belongs to Israel, the miraculous, the powerful, not the Philistines. Miracles have been their testimony. Miracles of power, miracles, deliverances. We just heard a testify of one today. So you can't cop out and say, well, that's not for today. It is for today. Now they're being challenged again to become servants of godlessness. I defy the army. I defy the church in this nation called America. Because Goliath says in verse 9, but if I prevail against you and kill you, then you shall be our servants and serve us. That's where we're heading. He's defying us, and he's beating us. And we're becoming servants to godlessness. How can that be when I'm promised ahead never to be underneath? Godlessness is attempting to prevail in America today. The voice of a Goliath can be heard today across the land. Same-sex marriage. Going to be accepted. It's going to become law. Get those Ten Commandments out of here. No more of God's ways. No more of God's laws in our country anymore. You will now serve us. And we as the church, modern-day America, are doing the same thing. Cowering and dismayed. And greatly afraid. Verse 11 says, And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Greatly afraid. In any kind of contest, you guys, who remembers when, uh, oh, who was that one boxer? Iron Mike. What was his name? Tyson. That dude had you beat before he got to the ring. There was just something about him, an aura around him that no, nobody could do anything with him. He just got on the ring. And I mean, my, I would have fallen out trying to get through the ropes. I'd have been done because of that, just that, that challenge and that, that fear that he put in people. In any contest, it's always useful to demoralize your opponent. That's why when I have those interviews, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to bust you up and 
He's trying to demoralize the opponent, strike fear in their heart. Because first of all, if you can get fear, you might even never have to go to battle. They'll just lay down and say, remember when the report came from the bad guys to Israel again? And they were saying, well, we don't want to die. What, what, what can we do? And he said, pluck your right eye out. Cut your right arm off and we'll let you live. And they were going, well, we got a left eye, we got a left arm. They were trying to demoralize them, strike fear that they do unbelievable compromises. And that's what's going on now in our land through laws and the bellowing out of the godlessness, no matter who they are. Secondly, if it does come to a battle, they will fill you with so much fear and apprehension you'll be afraid to fight like you normally would. Instead of being a man of God slashing your way through, he taps one sword and you'll fall and you'll, you'll, be, you'll run. Because you've been defeated and doomed already in your heart and mind. Who was it? Was it, remember Sennacherib sent a letter? We're going to, who are you feeble Jews? This wall you're building, it's like a little teeter-toe. We'll kick this wall over and we'll kick you. And they were melting with fear. As godlessness again went, screams across our land, Goliath screams. I defy the armies of God and the Christians of God. This is an absolute important strategy of the devil against us, against his church. Nate was telling us he was doing really great until he got a few hours before giving this testimony, and all of a sudden everything went crazy. That's what the enemy does. If you dare to try to step out, he's going to go, cannonball, boom, and mess up your life somehow, some way. So you'll go, I'll never do that again. And you run back. So that's what he does. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We're the enemies of Goliath, but we do have our spiritual giants to battle against. Devil has an intense interest in making you dismayed and greatly afraid before the battle ever begins. And you can hear it in our voices. Because sometimes somebody will come against the devil and someone else will say, Oh, you shouldn't talk like that. How many of you ever said that? Oh, you shouldn't say that about the devil. And the whole reason is because you know if you say something about the devil, he's going to come and kick your hind end all over the place. So you don't dare say anything about him. So now we find Saul dismayed and greatly afraid. You know, we kind of have an attitude toward Saul because we can see what he's done. But, but do you, have you forgotten that one time he was known as a fierce and successful military leader? He won battle after battle after battle after battle after battle. More than you and I ever fought. Defeated the Philistines constantly. 1 Samuel 14, 47 proves it. So Saul took the kingdom over Israel, and he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the children of Ammon, against Edom, against Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wheresoever he turned himself, he vexed them. He inflicted punishment. I'm the inflictor. We've become the inflictee. What happened? 
1 Samuel 14, 52 says, And there was sore war against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him unto him. I can understand that if I hear somebody crying out to God on a constant level and keeps hanging in there no matter if things good or bad happens to them, and they keep crying out and their crying out stirs me, I want them to come with me. Help me. And that was Paul, Saul was saying, man, you, you, you're awesome. Join up with us. Now, and now they're, they're standing around with no more fight left in them. As if they forgot to fight. Or as if they forgot why they're here. No longer realizing that light repels darkness. As they assemble together and huddle together dismayed. That word dismayed means to be broken down with fear. Is somebody trying to do that to America? It means to terrify. It means terrorists. And there are spiritual terrorists. As much as the physical terrorists, they're attempting to make us numb and overcome and paranoid with fear. They've been more successfully spiritually on us than they have been with the world. This is exactly what's happening today. Dismayed and greatly feared, afraid. Because that's when I say, we are to do this and we are to have that. And we are the heads are not to tell you of a splattering of amens. And they had, I think it was a Boston Bruins hockey game a couple days ago after the, you know, in every sporting event, someone gets up, whoever, you know, your uncle sings. Star Spangled Banner, your aunt. The whole lot of times they don't pay a whole lot of attention, but this time, this time they started singing, and immediately the entire crowd was bellowing out the song because they were behind America. We went to church. What on earth? And I heard that, and I had chills, and I had tears, crying for our nation and wondering about the church. Dismayed, broken down. Broken down with fear to terrify and terrorists. That's exactly what's happening today. So what happened to Saul and this victorious army? How did they come from defeating all them to that? One guy gets up and says godlessness stuff and this great army of God cowers. What happened? There's a reason. That same reason is the same reason today. That we cower. First Chronicles 13, 1. And David consulted with the captains of the thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and if it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto all our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel. If there's anybody left, wherever they're hiding, dens or caves, get them. See if they'll come, beckon to them. And with them also to the priests and Levites. Are there any godly pastors anymore? Anybody truly preaching the word? Bring them. Which are in the city and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. Listen, listen, and let us bring again the ark of our God to us. 
Here's what happened. For we inquired not in the days of Saul. We stopped praying, church. We stopped. We've lost the touch of God. We've lost the mind of God. And all that's left is human reasoning and cowering. You see this big Goliath when we used to take their heads off in the name of the Lord. When you had the mind of God and when you prayed and believed. Now we've become and reduced to this wimpy little army. Do you see that? Saul served for 42 years and they said they stopped inquiring from God. We can have lights, we can have music, we can have screens, we can have dramas, we can have skits. No more praying. Now when I even say no more praying, you go, yeah, but no, I pray because we don't even understand what it is anymore to really pray. We just scraped a little tip of it the other day with Nate, and there's the results. We've lost the mind of God. We've lost the touch of God. Didn't Moses say, but God, God, the only thing that makes us difference is what? Your presence. Your presence must go with us, or we're just like the rest. That's what's happened. We've gone from the touch of God. We've gone from weeping and crying out before God and trusting by faith that he hears us and he'll move upon us and he'll fill us with the boldness and strength and the words to speak in that time of trial. He'll give us a backbone when the enemy comes against us to reasoning. Human reasoning and understanding and board meetings and committees. What do you think? To church church growth postcards that pass out. Do you like organs? Do you like choirs? Do you like... And as you check them, whatever checks win, they change the church. God is calling this church and has been calling this church since day one to be different. To be different in prayer, to be different in worship, really sing to, to honor God and to worship God, not to perform. He's been calling us to be something different in prayer as long as I can think. Do you understand that Saul had many victories, tons of victories? And now look at him. So did the Christian church in America. It had many victories, tons of victories. You know, the stock market went broke in 1857. I think it was 1857, totally collapsed. And it was the praying people of God that prayed the economy back up and running. They got a hold of God and they repented of their sins and they cried out to God. Two started meeting in New York and it grew to 10,000 people. And a revival swept through New York from people just like you, sitting that time, all those hundred and some years later, sitting, what are we going to do? There's no economy. We're going to, godlessness is starting to reign. What's going to happen? Pray! And they did. And then in 1904, you know, that one's more documented than the other ones. They started crying out to God in Los Angeles, the city of angels, and angels visited in a tremendous revival, swept through Los Angeles. Tremendous revival swept through Kansas in 1972. It happens! Now we no longer inquire of the Lord. We kind of wish hope, pray. I wish hope America wasn't like this. I wish hope that wouldn't happen. No one ever saying, you know what? I don't care about Johnny football, Sally football, girls. Let's gather and pray. Let's get a hold of God and cry out together and pray. And have you ever left a prayer meeting exhausted? 
David said, let us go get the ark. What are we doing? How can we possibly run a country? How can we possibly be God's people without the presence of God? Go get the ark! And to their shame, they probably were going, well, who has it? Where's the ark? To inquire the ark means to consult, inquire, seek, knock, ask. James 5.16 tells us over and over and over and over and over, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Praying with effect, fervent, white, hot, leave me alone, I've got to pray. Much of our prayer is not effective simply because we're not sold on it. We're not sold. God wants to make you the head. Yeah, amen. It is offered with lukewarm attitude. Sort of kind of hoping, wishing God does something. Asking God to care about something that we don't even really care about. You can sense that attitude. You can sense it. Fervent means passionate, means zealous, means burning. However, that manifests in you. It's not like prayer 101, you got to do this. No, you got to get a hold of God. However, that happens. If all you can do is go, oh, God, 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 then do it. Fervent, with passion, with zeal, with burning. God, we're dying here. Help me, God, you've forsaken me, God. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And God stopped and touched Nate. Just like he touched blind Bartimaeus. Because he heard someone. Effective prayer must be fervent. It absolutely must be. It must be fervent, white hot prayer. We call you to pray, and sometimes it's just a conversation time with each other. And you've known it. And there's been times where I've stopped the service and said, Look, don't do what's normal. Don't go to your normal little comfort space. Stand up and cry out to God. And then all of a sudden, something happens, sweeps through. And most of you, after the service, oh, I just needed that so bad. Because you made a different effort. And God responded in a different way. It's not showboating, it's desperation praying. It's saying, God, what's happened? What's happened? What's happened? Saw on Facebook, posted it. I don't know who started it, loved it. Statue of Liberty with her hands and her face going, what's happened to my country? That's running rampant through the whole nation. What's happened? What's happened? What a time for the church. Stand up and get its influence back and to be the light again back. Secondly, on fervent prayer, it says, effectual prayer is offered up by a righteous person. I mean, it's just so happened. This is not planned. You can ask Nathan. I didn't know what he was going to say. Had a few ideas what he was going to touch. He's talking about breaking habits and all that kind of stuff and pornography and all. He said, I'll be right down here if you want prayer. But I know us. Ain't no one going to come 10 feet to him. Secondly, it says effective prayer is offered by a righteous man. This is someone who recognizes the grounds of his righteousness resides in Christ. 
It's the only reason why I'm righteous, whose personal walk is generally consistent with the righteousness that is in Christ. You can't act the way you want to and expect God to move on your behalf. You can't say, God, move and watch filth. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God, the power of God, the blessing of God, the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, the mercy of God. Where's the ark? Who has the ark? David says, let's get the ark. Because all the time this leader was in charge, they didn't call upon God. What? When the whole thing started out and God says, I'm calling you guys out of the earth, Chaldees. Abram, you're going to be a fantastic group. You're going to be a large family. And, and so they have been. They became tribes and all that kind of stuff. And God says, we're going to wander through the wilderness. And I want you to make me a habitation, the tabernacle, because I want to be with you. And I want you to follow me. When you see the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, follow me. Okay? Remember all that? And God says, I want you to make the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to overlay it with gold, and I want you to put seraphims with their angels like that, and their wings, and this and that, and all that kind of stuff. And I want to put a mercy seat in the middle, for there I want a seat and commune with you, talk with you. That's what the Ark of the Covenant means. And they're greatly dismayed and totally shaken, and they have no knowledge where the presence of God is. Just like our nation, just like most of our churches. Exodus twenty five twenty two proves it. He said, And there I will meet with you. Oh my gosh, now you tell me something. I don't know, you pick the place. Every one of you pick it in your head. If if Chad Farley says, uh, God, I'm going to Bob Evans, would you please meet with me? And God says, I'll be there. He's going to blow it off on his way. Ah, you know what? I feel like Red Lobster. God, that Bob Evans waiting for you. God says, you make this, and there I will be ready to meet with you. Meet with you. You're going to blow it off? Nah, that's not that important. Well, you know, Bobby has uh, some type of practice. I don't, it's just so crazy anymore. It's insane. I would look at the Jews, and they would just haphazard walk to their death like this. And I'm going, are you crazy? Pick up a stick, pick up something, at least go down swinging, whether you never even get the guy. Just go down swinging so they shoot you, they shoot you, they're shooting you anyway. And we're doing the same thing. Our nation is polarized. Our nation is great divide. And their godlessness is saying, you're going to serve us. And we're just going, okay. okay, I don't want to, but okay, nothing I can do. When there's so much we can do, I'm the head and not the tail. I should be above and not beneath. God is with me. The Godhead bodily resides in me. Hey, my history is full of miracles. Miracles of deliverance, miracles of being born again, miracles of my mind being renewed, miracles, miracles, miracles. The miracles are for me. Who's this big chump screaming? Who's this big goofus? Oh, don't call him that. God says, you get the covenant of the ark back in here, 
and I will meet with you, and I will talk with you, and I will give you things that you know not. I will show you things that you've never seen. I will instill stuff in you you never thought could. I'll give you a backbone that you never... When David said to them, let us bring the ark of God, for we inquired not at all. We, we, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. Forty-two years. New Hope is 23 years. It had been the only pastor. So what would that be? 19 more years. Well, I don't know if I'll last the, the 42 years. But what if we just never prayed? Never had an altar call? Never asked for, well, maybe a lot of you have come from churches like that already. It can't be. It can't stay that way. We cannot control the atmosphere and future of other churches. We can only control this one right here. You and I. Me, you, and God. And God is calling on this church. God is counting on this church. I do not believe not one of you, unless you're an absolute brand new visitor today, can stand before God and say, oh, I plead ignorance. I didn't know. I, I, I don't think so. Not from the Bible schools. Uh, VBS even teaches it through song and Sunday school. This, everything we do, man to man, the ladies, everything is to pour in that wealth. We are magnets to sin. That's the way it is. That's that carnal nature. And sometimes those things get a death grip on us. And if something has a death grip on you, I want you to meet Nate right down there in that front pew. You okay to go right over to there? I don't care who you are. What, that doesn't matter. If you don't care, God doesn't care, something will happen. But I know how we are. If I do this, everybody will see. That's right. Just like if you were stripped naked and beaten, hung on a cross, everybody would see you. Everybody would gawk at your nakedness. Let's cut some of these lights, please, majority of them. So what's happened? We've quit praying. We have quit truly praying. Fervent, righteous, hot prayer. God, you've got to move. I am desperate. I can't stand my life. God, please do so. My nation, the power of God back in the church, all that. If you have been planted here by the Spirit of God, you are the one God's calling to do this. The only thing left for you to do would be to get up and leave. Like Jonah. You go to Nineveh and you cry out, uh-uh, not me, God. That's all that's left to do. So we're going to open up these altars. We're asking you to come and to pray. You come and you say, God, I, I'm not a person of prayer. I really don't know. Fine, then, then tell them that. Start right there. And we don't even think right because you think you have to pray like me or you have to pray like Bruce. You've got to pray like Adam. You've got to pray on those that I normally call on. Who said that? Who's ever said that? Something you've concocted in your mind. Just weep before God and cry out before God. Okay. Let's do it. Our altar's open. Please come. You are desperate. Come. God will heal. God will hear.